Welcome back to another episode of The Hillary Show. We've got David Nagel here today. He is the founder of the multi-million, I almost said billion, multi-million dollar global consulting company, Life Is Now, and is the host of Business Daily News Ranked podcast, The Successful Mind, which I am a huge fan of. David's quest is to teach people to think successfully so they can experience personal freedom. Being in the personal and professional development industry for more than 20 years, David has worked alongside other well-known mentors like Bob Proctor and Tony Robbins, and his clients include many well-known people, including New York Times number one bestseller, Jin Sincero. Sincero? Sincero. Sincero. Thank you so much, Jin Sincero. David's helped tens of thousands of students across the globe. I'm privileged to be one of them and is one of the architects of the personal growth industry. Through David's mentoring and podcast, thousands of entrepreneurs, experts, and self-employed professionals have gained the confidence and found the right mindset needed to increase their revenue, turning their endeavors into seven and eight figure ventures. Life is Now Inc. offers proven strategies and solutions based in neuroscience and combined 30 years of firsthand experience consulting with small businesses that put you in control of your results so you can do more of the work you love with the people you love and for the profit you deserve because life is now. David, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So our main audience, um, you know, are people who are on the personal development journey and have hangups about money. And I think that getting your money mindset, right. Might be the first key to unlocking so many different things. I may be too many steps ahead. I don't know. You tell me. No, I don't think so. I think, I think you're right on. And I think one of the reasons is, um, and people need to realize just how many contradicting ideas they receive about money, their entire life, especially their entire childhood. Uh, money is one of those things. It's like the essential evil that we need in our life. That's kind of the message that we get. It's good, but too much is not good. And too much corrupts people. And if you want more than you need, you're not a good person. Um, yet you need more and more every year in order to be able to live a quality life and send your kids to school and do the things that are necessary. And it, I think that people don't realize we really get a lot of information, a lot of programming around money based on how we watched our parents make decisions around money. And, you know, money is a benign thing. It, it just is. It's neither positive or negative. It doesn't have a conscience. It doesn't do anything on its own, but it's an amplifier, right? It's an amplifier, like lots of things are amplifiers, but this, but money is a big one. And if you're a good, good person, it brings more good out of you. You, you will do more good things with it. And if you're not a good person, it'll also amplify that in many different ways. Money does something though, that is, it's probably one of the most unique things as far as if you live in a free society, it gives you more freedom. Apparently, like in most people's minds, if they can do whatever they want, if they just have enough money. Um, sometimes to the extent where they go over the line with that from a legal perspective, but generally it, you know, it liberates people in what they can actually do. It also comes with great responsibility. Um, if you look at the statistics around people that have, uh, like won lotteries, for instance, 
you'll find that the, st the statistics are pretty horrible. Like it, people that have won lotteries, their lives within a few years are usually destroyed. They spend all the money. They have uh, relationships that are, are destroyed. Uh, sometimes their physical health is destroyed because the power behind the money itself, what a person can do is, is very, is much the equivalent. Like if you were to give the kids, uh, a kid, a, a keys to the car, you know, like a, if you were to give the keys of a Ferrari to a four-year-old, they'd probably kill themselves in five minutes, you know, and, and you give a lot of money to a person that is immature, uh, that's emotionally immature, that doesn't know how to handle money, you know, in a responsible way, they get themselves in, in serious trouble. And one of the things is that once a person wins a lottery, if it's in one of those states where their name is known, right, they, they publicize it. Everybody comes out of the woodwork wanting it, and they don't even know how to deal with that. So it is, it's a very complicated um, idea as to how do we handle the importance of it as far as ourselves. And what I, and what I haven't mentioned yet was the idea of how do we actually make more? How do we, how do we get in the mindset to earn more money? Because here's something that's true that you don't ever hear growing up. Making a lot of money is actually really easy. There's nothing difficult about it. But the split ideas that we have around the idea of money in our mind make it difficult. Like we're we're taught that it's hard, you have to work harder, that it's difficult, or you have to have a special talent or be a special person or have a certain amount of education in order to earn a lot of money. And those things are absolutely not true. We see so many women who open businesses every year. Like the majority of businesses opened every year are women owned, or at least right now, historically. Yeah. But when we look at the, you know, financials, the number of women owned businesses that do a million dollars or more is very small. And then the, the number of women who do eight figures or more women owned businesses, eight figures or more is like teeny tiny, I think 2%, something like that. What do you think is at the core of that? What do I think is at the core? Well, first of all, if a person is opening a business and they were raised middle class, one of the things that's at the core of that is that they try to run the business the same way that they would run their household, being middle class. And that doesn't work. A business, and I, a business, a business owner, an entrepreneur has to understand that the value system that they're that they're stepping into in order to own, operate, and grow a business are very different. Uh, than middle class because everything in the middle class mindset and value system is about survival and businesses are about expansion and they're about helping people. Uh, it's about growth. It's about understanding how to influence. Those things are not something that's taught to the average individual uh, that's, that's growing up in the world. So you have to seek out that information. And then here's the biggest thing, Hillary, it's not like I can give you a book and say, here's a book that has all the mindset, everything that you need to know about being an entrepreneur. You have to in, you have to ingrain it into your behavior, right? It has to become the way that you think. And then it has to become the way that you think unconsciously so that you're processing through business decisions automatically. You really understand how to think about them. And, and I think that's part of what makes it difficult. The time that it takes to change the way that you think, the way that you observe, the decisions that you make, the emotional maturity that you have to go through to run a, a successful company. Um, and, and that takes time. And while you're doing that, 
you still have to make money, right? So if you're coming from a place that actually is taught to repel money, which is a middle-class mindset, right? There, there's nothing about the middle class that's that is ingrained in that mindset for a person to actually earn money from the way money is supposed to be earned. Let me, can I clarify on that for Please. a second? Yeah. I think that even if you start from the point of what is middle-class mindset, because I mean, working class, it's working, it's working for somebody else. It's growing up in a mindset where your parents had a job. They worked first for an employer. Uh, you were raised your whole life within the framework of that. You went to school to study based on the idea that you're going to go to work for somebody else. You started off working for other individuals in your teenage years, that type of thing, right? That What's important to understand about that is that you're taught how to survive. If you strip away all of the pomp and circumstance around working for somebody else, what are you really doing? You're trading your time for money. You're saying, I'm going to give you part of my life with a little bit of skill set. You're going to pay me what I need just to survive. That's basically it. And usually it's a little bit less than that. And then we've got to figure out how do we live um, within the constraints of that little bit of money in an ever expanding economy and world and you know ultimately universe. But money is a tool that we created uh, so that we could actually leverage our own ability and the things that we need so that we can live a more holistic life, right? It used to be hundreds of years ago that people knew one or one or two things. They had a couple of skill sets, right? Maybe they maybe the husband could build the house and they knew how to farm and maybe they knew how to run the cattle or you know you'd have a couple other people in the village, somebody made shoes, somebody made clothes, that type of thing. So we would trade, right? We, we, we would trade with each other for those things. But as it became more complex, nobody could know enough to be able to do all the things that are required to raise a family in modernity based on wherever you were in those times for time frames. So we came up with the idea of money. Money became an international unit of trade so that we could buy and sell goods in order to expand our life and expand humanity. Great, a great idea. Works really wonderful if it's understood. But what actually moves that money from one hand to another? It was never designed so that a person traded their time for the money. It was so that we traded services for the money or we traded product for the money. So when I do that, the thing that actually makes that money move from my hand to your hand is a sale, right? It's one of us selling the other on the idea that you need something that I have and I have something that you need and we see the value in it uh, together and we, we and we make that trade, right? We make the trade money for the for the product or whatever it is that we're actually trading. But our but our human time is not involved in that transaction. So that means that we have to understand different things about money. We have to understand the value of the money itself. We also have to understand the value of our product or service and how it increases the value of the person that we're selling it to. Yes. Why is this important to someone? And how do they see the value in, in, those, in those things? That's not required when you get a job. So when you get a job, it's all about this expectation of, hey, listen, I could do this thing that you need done. And what, what would you pay me to do that? So 
the way that that's set up is that the employer pays what the job's worth, not what the person's worth, right? And it's not, it's they're not selling a product, right? It is they're doing a task for a period of hours every day. So then that comes down to, you know, a common denominator of value amongst employers and it becomes set rate, you know, for millions and millions of people uh, all over the world. However, what those individuals don't know, the people that are working for others, is that the money itself moves on a different value system independently of the way that they're taught to earn money. So if I go start a business, it's not about me showing up. It's about me having the ability to communicate the value of my product or service to somebody else who has the money so that we make that fair trade and that then now I have the money and to be able to do it at a profit, right? So that it's I'm making a little bit more every time so I can continue to expand and the value of the product or service also has some kind of expansion value in it for the person that's buying it. So people today, there's more people today becoming business owners and entrepreneurs, which I think is a great thing. Um, but they they do it without the fundamental understanding that the way that they think, how they value things, how they see life itself, those fundamental ideas need to shift dramatically in order for a person to begin to hit, you know, go beyond those percentages that you talked about, making a million, making eight figures. To go beyond that, you have to really learn to be able to think differently. And it's not that it's all that difficult to do. It just takes some time and it takes some experience. And again, I'll, say, I'll repeat myself, when a person's doing this, they have to earn money at the same time. So there's a stress around that because it doesn't always go well. You know, you're learning, like, think about this for a second. One of the main skill sets that a business owner needs to, 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 to learn is sales right? It's like the number one skill set. It's involved in everything that business owner is going to do. Except when I'm learning it, I get more rejection than I get yeses. So that doesn't feel good, right? The average individual is not going to want to sit around and be rejected all day long, especially when it comes to the idea that that money is necessary for them and their family and their business. They, have, they absolutely need it. They've got bills they got to pay and they're just getting no after no after no while they're learning the skill set um, to actually become a functional business. I so there's, there's there's challenges in this is what I'm, is what I'm trying to say. Well, I think I'm thinking about times when I don't do consultations with my clients anymore. Um, I have staff members do that. Thank, thank goodness, because you can only talk to so many people in a day as one person. So you have multiple people talking to folks, but I remember being in consultations and thinking, I know that I can help this person. I know that what we're going to give them is a value. I also know I need them to hire us because we need to make payroll. And those become almost competing thoughts because you're going into this with this energy of, I want to help you also, I need you to do this for me. And yeah. almost a fear starts, starts creeping in. Yeah. There's definitely a fear that starts creeping in. Um, and the, again, the idea of <clears throat> the idea to, to well, so there's two things there. One is a person has to learn to move through the fear, right? In, in the middle-class working class environment, we are given a lot of fears 
that aren't really real. They're more neurotic in nature. It's kind of like, what if something goes wrong? And the reason that those fears exist, I believe, and, and in my experience, is because people develop fears about what happens if I lose my source of income and I can't get another one? Because in their mind, everybody around them that pays them has more authority over their life than they do, right? And that's a big deal. I think one of the things, I think that if people would stop and just look at everybody that is in the working class for a moment and, and look at their lives, you will see a low level of anxiety amongst people. And that is the conscious knowledge that they try to not think about every day, that whether or not they have a job is based on the person that hired them. And any day, I don't care what you've done, I don't care what your loyalty is, you could walk in and they could say, we have to let you go. We know that, right? We know that. And it, and I mean, that's not fun to think about. Today, the average person could probably get another job relatively easy. But I remember when I was a kid growing up, it was not so, like you when you were told when you get a job, you're going to stay there for life. You got to find something and work hard and you don't want to lose that because if you lose a job, nobody else is going to want to hire you. Or if you're a job hopper, nobody's going to want to hire you. So there was all this anxiety around earning a living itself, regardless of how successful you were doing it. And it, it, we become ingrained with all of these different fears because we don't have authority over our life. We actually do, but we're not aware of it. We think all of these other things have authority and we don't. So you're dealing with that fear all the time. When you start a business, one of the best things that you could do is realize you are now the person of authority of your own life. Every decision is yours, which can, can it can create fear and anxiety, but all of those decisions are based on skill sets. If you learn how to think, if you learn how to make decisions, if you learn the different skills that are required to build a business, if you hire great people with great skills, you're going to be successful. You know, I always thought it was very interesting. I remember when I first started uh, my my business, the I think the I think the numbers were around. 80% of businesses that started were out of business in five years. And then out of the 20% that were left, another 80% were gone within 10 years. And it looks like if you're looking at it from a place of statistics, like it's one of the worst things a person could possibly do based on the percentages of people that actually win doing it. And I thought it can't be there. It can't be that much chance in this. What there's there has to be more to it than just these percentages of people that go out. And as I began to study it, I realized that almost all of those businesses that go out of business go out of business because basically a person ends up quitting. They get to a point where they don't know how to be resourceful. They get themselves into an unresourceful situation, whatever may have caused it, but they don't know how to be resourceful enough to actually turn the problem around. And eventually they just give up, right? It's not that there's some overarching power that wipes them out, although that has happened on occasion, especially um, in the world that we live in today with big conglomerates that have the ability to do that in some situations. But on the average, it's really that a person doesn't know how to overcome the problem that they're that they're facing on a daily basis. And it becomes overwhelmingly exhausting. 
uh, and they're like, it's not, it's not worth it. You know, it's not worth it. Not understanding that they can learn how to change that situation. I've heard exactly that from people where they say, I just don't know how you do it. You know, I don't, I don't want to, it's not worth it to me to make money and, and work 80 hours a week. What is that? Is that rooted in, in some story that they've learned somewhere? It's, it's rooted in a corrupt value. Think about what you're, and I've heard the same thing. Like I can't tell you how many times. So why is it not worth it? Because what you're talking about is your own independence, your own ability to earn your own income, your ability to run your own life, your ability to provide for your family in, a, in an extraordinary way. Why is it not worth it to work through the difficulties to learn how to do that in order to master it so that you can do it? I think that as children that are, that are raised in a middle-class mindset, the value system is very corrupt. And I think that it was designed that way to keep people down totally. so that you had a, a complete, um, uh, an enormous an enormous amount of individuals that were in the working class to, to run industry. I believe that that's 100% true. What we know, here's what we do know about education was that we, when it was the, the education system that we follow today was developed in Chicago and it was designed specifically to prepare people to go to work in factories. And we still follow it today. And we still follow it today. Yeah. I was listening to, I think a podcast, maybe, I don't know if I would, maybe it was, I don't know if your book is on audio. Is the millions within an audio? It's on audio. It's, it's just not, audio. it's just not me. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm listening to something you're saying and it was definitely you. So it had to be the podcast, I guess. Okay. And you were talking about a time when you we're basically at an impasse with your spouse. So I want to kind of go from, um, you know, sales and mindset and why is this happening to what happens when it starts happening and your spouse is not on board. And the story that I remember you telling is you had a million dollars in the bank account and yet the two of you were not in sync for whatever reason. And where did you go from there? And like what difficult decisions had to be made? Yeah, difficult decisions definitely had to be made. Um, I did not expect to run into this problem when I started my business. Uh, I thought we were on the same page. And when you have, it's life is different just having a conversation on the couch versus making very difficult decisions, walking away from the safety of corporate so-called in your mind, and you're going to actually start your own thing. And as I began to do that, I was... I, I knew I wouldn't fail. I was extraordinarily determined to, to succeed. I would do whatever was required to succeed. But what it brought out uh, in my partner at the time was a deep-rooted fear that the money could go away. And I mean, I this person, I, I, I knew my whole life. I, I knew this woman my whole life. And I knew where she came from. And I knew that what her parents' beliefs were. And they were raised with the idea that, you know, you have to save every nickel because it could it could go away and you end up you're there's a it's like the poverty can overcome you where you can't overcome it type of a deal it was always what if we don't have it what if something goes wrong what if this goes away to the point where it's true we had a million dollars in the bank and we were still living as if we were completely broke you know because we did come from a place where we were completely broke we went bankrupt we lost our car we lost our apartment, we were on food stamps with two kids. It was, we went through a really rough time trying to come out of that, uh, those mistakes that we made, right? That was, that was our responsibility. We made those mistakes. 
but the fear was still as if that could happen tomorrow, right? And the the fact of the matter was that there was, I mean, all the evidence was there that we were doing very well in the business and that this was not going to flip and all of a sudden not start or start not working, you know, just out of the blue for no reason. But the fear wasn't something that re- that she could get over. And uh, she couldn't bridge that gap between actually working a job in her mind and me doing what I was doing. So on, on what was unfortunate was that it ended the, it ended the marriage, like it, because I was not going to go backwards uh, in my life. And she just she I don't think she really wanted to, to be honest with you. I don't think she wanted to over to overcome that. It was just too much for her. So we had a we realized we had a very different view on how we both wanted to live. And and we and we and we separated ways. But it was really rough in the beginning because it was a point of contention constantly, 24 hours a day. Right. It was it was creating major ripples in the in the relationship. And we were both trying to get the other one to change. And that wasn't going to happen. So we were both very independent people. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to change. She wasn't going to change. I certainly wasn't going to stop doing what I was doing. And eventually it, it led to the to the end. And almost it's like a value misalignment where it's not one person's right or wrong. It's just different. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. John and I've had a lot of arguments about money. I feel like as a couple that it's when I talk to other couples, you know, that is our number one thing that we've had arguments over and disagreements over. Usually it's for the lack of money. It's not because we had a million dollars in the bank though. Right. Yeah. Right. When you see couples working together or really when one person starts making these, these shifts, shifts in their life and the other partner is, you know, either coming along or, or resistant, what are are things that you can do to help them? Sean, and I have fortunately been working with you in tandem for a lot of years now. Um, so we haven't necessarily had that, but I know that there have been moments where we felt like the other person, like we were out of sync with the level that we were like the ceiling was bigger for one person than the other at times. How, how can you help people as they navigate that in terms of mindset? Well, one of the, so I have to admit that a big part of the problem was the fact that I didn't know how to pick the right partner to begin with. I didn't have those skills either in the beginning, right? So that's a big part of the problem that you can't, you really need to address. Like, where are you in the relationship? You know, are there other things that are not being addressed also? that Because I think that that, that needs to be addressed. But the idea is, that when you when you're in a marriage or you're in an intimate relationship with someone, you have to have a common vision for where that's going, and that right away will tell you what the values are. If you guys can't have a common vision of where you're going, it's going to fall apart because it's two separate, it's two it's completely two separate things, and they're probably going to be antagonistic in some way. But what I do is I have people create a common vision and see if the values about getting there are the same. The person doesn't ha- the partner doesn't have to have their own business. They just need to be supportive of what they're doing, right? And not tearing a person down or constantly being in fear around what they're doing. I think that personal growth itself should be a fundamental value, excuse me, in any marriage. Otherwise, cuz if you don't grow, you die, right? There's no staying the same. A relationship's either getting better or it's getting worse. It's never staying the same. It takes work. 
to, to have a relationship. It takes a lot of work to have a relationship. You know, you have to be committed to the relationship and committed to, to being loving and caring and compassionate with each other and allowing the person their own independence to be who they want to be within that relationship. It's like, you don't own the other person, you're sharing your life with them. You're like, we're partners together in this thing called life. And we want to create something amazing. And then if we have a family, you know, pass that down to our children also. So provided that the person's not doing something wrong, like they're not an addict or they're doing something illegal or whatever, but every, everything's on the up and up. The idea is to recognize when you're running, rubbing up against something that is a growth edge for yourself. And then it's your responsibility to grow. So if my partner's doing something that scares the hell out of me, but it's not wrong, it's just what they want to do. I My job is to grow enough or educate myself enough so I can support that person, right? I, I owe that to the relationship. That's part of getting into the relationship itself. It's not we're going to get in this relationship, but, you know, at 20 years old, and damn it, you better never change anything, you know, till we're 85. Or, I mean, that's kind of nonsense. We have a responsibility to each other to be able to grow and learn the things that are necessary to support each other. And unfortunately, a lot of people are in relationships where they do not understand that at all. It's as if they own the other person or it's as if nothing is supposed to change. You know, I they get in a relationship almost kind of like to replace a parent in some way so that they don't have to be alone and deal with the things that are very uncomfortable in life that cause us to grow. And that's like, we're supposed to shelter them for those. And that's usually when it is really nasty. You teach a lot of different things in your various programs that I have been a student of and continue to teach them. One of the coolest, easiest steps for me was learning about how important my environment was. Can you share that with us? Yeah. Come to find out environment is everything. I didn't know that either in the, in the beginning. And it was a I think out of everything that we learn, and you tell me if this is true or not for you, environment's one of the most difficult things to change, and it's probably one of the most painful. Um, here's let me tell you how I began to learn this. So when I was when I was studying with my mentor in the in the mid nineties, um, we we I was listening to him speak one day. I was at a seminar. And they were talking about all the things that need, that you needed to kind of lock up and, and change and make sure we're healthy in order to live your dream type of a thing. And we got to this part one day where it was about your environment and what, a, what made up your environment, people, places, and things, right? This is what makes up your environment. And that environment is either supporting the direction that you're going, or it's trying to hold you back to who you were. And I remember starting to feel a cold sweat as he was talking about this, because what it became evident to me was that the people that I was allowing in my environment, they, in no, they couldn't support me and where I went. I mean, they were the guys from back on the block when I grew up in Chicago, right? Great people, but they were not going the same place in life. And what's unfortunate is that generally when a person can't so when they when they can't support you in where you're going because they don't understand it it threatens their own um idea of stability and and what is real for them they're going to tear you down 
right? They're going to do it by default because they're afraid, right? And you, and that's a, just a, that's a human thing. We don't understand something. We usually attack it and make it wrong. And I did want to become wealthy. I wanted a different lifestyle. I wanted a nicer house. I wanted nicer things in my life. And we were all raised the same way with this idea. You don't need that. What the hell do you need that for? That's a waste of money. So every time I would try to expand, everybody around me was telling me, you don't need that. Why are you doing that? Save your money. Stop. You know, it, it was it was really horrible. And as I'm sitting there listening to this in this seminar, I, I became very aware I needed to start pulling people out of my life. And I needed also on the other flip side of it is I needed to find people that did have a vision for their life where we could support each other. So that was that was a very difficult thing to actually go through. Um, but I did, as I began to go through it myself, what be, what was kind of disturbing at first was the amount of people that I was around in those first growth years. When we hit this stage about really getting your environment healthy, how many of them dropped away? They just quit. They went back to the life that they, because they couldn't do it. Um, some of it had to do with spouses and partners. Some of it had to do with church groups and, and religious organizations that they were part of. Some of it had to do with social groups that they were a part of, uh, friends and acquaintances and extended family. So the amount of pressure that they would get because they were actually changing significantly based on how those things were being an influence in their life, it was either you're going to change them or you're going to adapt to them. And a huge chunk of people just disappeared. Like they were gone from, you know, because we had like our little clicks that we were developing as we were going through these seminars together, making new friends and supporting each other. And when we hit that, a bunch of people disappeared. And then the next place that I ran into that was when I actually started my business. That was a whole different experience altogether because basically it needed to happen again. And I actually had to distance myself from some, some from some family that I had, not get rid of them, but I couldn't be around them as much because all they wanted to do was rip on the business or what I was doing and why it wasn't going to work. And it was it would become a nonsense conversation every time we were together. Or they would do things in a way that was like, um, oh, what's the what's the word that I'm I'm thinking of it was the like a, this this underlying hostility where they were literally being nasty about things without totally directing at you, but you knew that they were talking about you. So it was kind of like, okay, I, I had to go to my mentor and I said, what do I do about this? And he said, listen, you're not going to get rid of all these people because they're your family members, right? He said, so when you're around them, just don't stay as long and don't go to see them as often and become really good at learning how to change conversation. He said, part of your responsibility is to learn where to bring things into the right groups of people who can support you and understand the people who can't. So if you're around a bunch of people that can't support you, leave that conversation alone. Don't go there. Talk to them about what's important to them, right? See if you could be a benefit to them in some way, but don't talk about things that they can't understand because all it's going to do is it's going to create some kind of contention between the two of you and it's not going to be beneficial, but you will become the environment that you surround yourself with. That's, you know, there used to be this saying like uh, your income was the equivalent of your five closest friends. 
uh, the average of your five closest friends. And that's very, a very accurate uh, thing. So it, it's probably one of the most important things. This is great. Like advice going into Thanksgiving, because it's true. You're not going to be able to change your family and you want to be thankful for them. And, you know, or perhaps it's just a group of friends who you're having dinner or drinks with, but you don't have to engage on things that perhaps they're not on the same wavelength as you. I remember like Steph, even talking about how a crack in your windshield or a crack in your, um, your iPhone or clutter all over in your home, that those are just that that's your environment manifesting itself all around you. It's your inside coming out. I think that changing those things are, it doesn't cost any money to change those things. Um, you know, you can re-gift and goodwill the things that are piled up on your home and open up space for for new to come in your house. And that doesn't cost you anything. I think those are easy, small pieces of um, success that you can do without it costing any money. I agree. I absolutely yeah. agree. That was well, one of the first steps that I did was, I mean, we when I first started, I had a, my first house was like a 980 square foot ranch. And the, the advice that I got was make, make that, make that environment as beautiful as it can be, make it the best, make it the best 980 square foot ranch on the block. Um, and then you'll move on from there. And that's what I did. I start, I started really paying attention to all of those little details that were around me. And they were very important because it reflects back a mindset, um, you know, about how you see yourself, what you think, what you, what you're thinking about, what you're around all day long, the energy of that. It's very important very important. What's the best book that you can recommend other than, of course, I highly recommend your book to so many people. What do you think is the easiest intro book to understanding some of the concepts we've talked about today? Um, I'm going to give you a couple books because I can't, I can't just give you one. So uh, I teach a lot uh, based on universal principles or for, or what sometimes people know as first principles. That would be um, Raymond Hollywell's Working with the Law, okay? That book, Raymond Hollywell's the author, Working with the Law. There's a great book to, that helps a person understand money from a universal principle aspect, and that would be The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles. I would start there. Think and Grow Rich is a classic. Like that's definitely a great book. Sometimes people have a little trouble with it because it's so dated, but every principle in it is as accurate as the day that it was that it was written. So I would start with with those three books. Thank you so much. Thank You're you welcome. so much for all the knowledge. This is so good, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast. And it's always such a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me, Hillary. It's a pleasure to be here. I hope that you enjoyed that episode with David. He's such a great teacher. And every time I'm, I, I listen to him as he teaches, it reminds me to question everything that nothing really is quite as it seems. Making a lot of money doesn't have to be only because you're doing hard work and that sometimes it can be very easy to make money and that our environment and who we're around is so important. And yet we don't, I never really stop to think about who am I spending a lot of my time with? And that includes within your work environment. I'm happy that I spend so much of my time with people who are very goal-driven and you know aligned with my value of helping future generations. And 
some of that was almost by accident that I designed my company that way. And I've designed my friends and definitely my marriage to be that way. But you learn these things and you hear them all over again and they're fresh and new. And I hope they've given something to you. Enjoy. I hope you have a wonderful day and I can't wait to see you on another episode of The Hillary Show. Have a good one.